Welcome to Tech Talk Nation, talking about the latest tech, industry news, and hot topics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit our website at techtalknation.com. Good evening that. and welcome to Tech Talk Nation. I'm your host, Matt Fitzgerald. We have a great show for you tonight. Apologies for the late start here a little bit. Uh, we we just ran into a couple technical difficulties getting the, uh, the show started for you today. Um, basically, long story short, I found out that you have to click another button to go live the way I scheduled the show for today. So uh, lesson learned. Uh, and here we go. So without further ado, we have a wonderful show for you today. We're going to be talking from everything from uh, Tesla to some cool research done by uh, most of our, all of our alma mater and uh, some really cool developments with Google and their own custom chip fab. So without further ado, welcome to the show, everybody. Oh my goodness, I didn't even check this. You guys aren't even showing up right now. Give me one second to pop out. Dang. Yeah, look Real at nice, that. Spence. Real nice. Yeah, welcome to, the Matt's, welcome to the there Matt Fitzgerald show, starring Matt Fitzgerald. It's only me today. Only me today. We, we are off to a rough start today, but here we go. Such is life. So anyway, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing today? Everything going good with you guys? I'm doing pretty well. Ah, about as good as it could be. Good, good. Awesome. Well, we have a big show for you as I decide to change the um, the, <laughs> the thing here today. Jeez, I was really not prepared for this. You could probably change to something related to our uh, main story. Our main story? Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'll use this time uh, to plug our social media. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. This is Tech Talk Nation. I'm one of your co-hosts. Uh, Matt Grislow, and I run the social media for our podcast. Don't forget, you can uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Facebook, we are at Tech Talk Nation Show. On Instagram, Tech Talk Nation. And then Twitter, Tech Talk Nations, Tech Talk Nation with an S. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other major podcast places wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, the social media is a little bare right now. We're trying to get some content together. Um, behind the scenes, we've been talking about some things we can post on our stories. And then in addition to that, uh, discussing the potential of starting a clips channel where we post some of the more uh, popular bits from our podcast here and short form content for you guys to more easily digest uh, after the show during the week uh, after, after we post the show. Um, that being said, you can also watch the show on YouTube uh after it streams so don't forget uh if you forget to uh tune in you can always uh tune in on youtube and all those other places uh to hear us and listen to us and uh hear us talking about tech so without further ado i'll give it back to you fitz all righty thank you so much grislow and Basically, what we're going to do right now is we're going to start off our new section that we call updates, just making sure we, we uh, know what's going on with our stories that we talked about a couple weeks ago, last week, whatever. Uh, we want to bring you guys the updates and kind of revisit what we talked about. So some updates for you today. Um, Tesla here. 
is opening their supercharger network and will enable access to new $7.5 billion EV funding in the U.S. And long story short, there's always a money motivation behind everything that's Mm -hmm. done. And long story short, um, the reason that Tesla is opening it up to everybody else is as part of this infrastructure bill that's going through Congress right now, one of the stipulations of getting funding for um, vehicle charging stations is to serve vehicles produced by more than one vehicle manufacturer. So now we know why Tesla was opening that all up. It was not. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the other reason is because, you know, as you transition away from gas a little bit, all of a sudden someone has to provide the electricity and you basically get to supplant oil that way. Mm. Fair Correct. point, especially when oil prices are pretty high or gas prices. The big oil, it's going to be big electric. Big electric. Oh boy. There you go. That's going to be a uh, a new uh, term that we're we're going to hear. Uh, in our other update for today, Microsoft. Uh, we mentioned about how they have renting basically Windows 365 cloud PCs. Well, they actually came out with all that stuff, and they are uh, finally launching it, and they show $31, $41, and $66 for your more like enterprise stuff, and then on your user side of things, it's like $20, I think. Um, Yeah, here it is. It says, the cheapest setup, uh, 2 gigs of RAM, 64 gigs of storage, and and 12 gigs of bandwidth starts at $20 per user, and... I don't know about you guys, but 12 gigabytes of bandwidth, I can go through that in like a night. But granted, you're probably not going to be streaming movies off of this thing. So, um, Well, does that mean bandwidth or does that mean, I'm pretty sure that means bandwidth isn't like you could use 12 gigs at once, no? I, I want to th- think it's metered. That's the thing that I'm not sure about, though. Uh, I think it's metered. Could be. But- Especially if it's a if it's metered, price. that's insane. Right. Let me see. Uh, Windows three sixty five cloud PC. I ass- I just kind of assume that means you could do like twelve gig throughput. So that means you could probably play games on their servers that way. At twenty dollars a month, that's that's pretty good. But do you want to be using like a virtual machine to play games versus just? Oh, oh no, it's a lot slower. Here's an article. Yeah. Honestly, I'm actually going to kind of break off of our little planned script here for a second. I just found this article literally written 14 hours ago uh, on The Verge here. Microsoft pauses free Windows 365 cloud PC trial after significant demand. Rip scaroni. Yeah, rip scaroni to that. That's a a word. Um, But yeah, it it didn't say I was I was doing a little bit of a search here to to see if we could we could find that out. Uh, Let me see. Bandwidth pricing will apply for network usage, it says. Azure bandwidth pricing will apply for network usage. So basically you're getting thrown into Azure and then anything you use beyond that cutoff is just going to be billed as the normal Azure rate. So Hmm. Um, interesting. That's definitely an interesting move um, by them. We'll, we'll see. We will definitely see uh, what happens. Well, the next article we have for you tonight, and I feel like this is just going to be kind of like a returning story on almost every podcast that we do here. It's about Boeing 
and they are scrub they scrub the launch of their Starliner uh, due to some issues here. And long story short, what wound up happening uh, is it was problems with the valves on the capsule's propellant system. And then some weather and a bunch of other things just kind of made the perfect storm, per se, uh, to delay uh, Boeing's flight. So, and that was and that was even after they got delayed from last Friday's flight because the uh, Russians were having issues with a new lab module. Um, so it's not people at Boeing are probably really not happy right now. Um, I mean, you can't really control the weather; that's understandable. But um, you know, there there are things that are certainly in their control, and and they were saying that the weather uh, was potentially the source of the valve uh, issue. So who knows? Currently, there actually is no set date. Uh, to relaunch the Starliner, so I would be uh, not happy if I was a Boeing exec right now. Definitely. Oh, I'd be happy that they caught the valve thing before it blew up. I can't remember how many spaceships have blown up that way. That's true. true. And honestly, they have to make sure this one goes right, considering they had so many issues with the 2019 launch, so they're probably, out of an abundance of caution, not even setting a new date, um, which is understandable. Yeah, definitely. The thing, the thing that I find especially interesting about this is you have SpaceX here who's under a $2.6 billion NASA contract, and then Boeing is under $4.2 billion of NASA contract. I, I just find that interesting. I know that the Boeing contract is much older than the SpaceX contract, and I, I'm pretty sure it was for a different purpose, but it's, it's just interesting to see. So Boeing's well, if, just kind of like flubbing all of this. Well, if it's older, they've probably blown through a lot of that money. Um, and also, I feel like SpaceX is so much further along in the development of their systems to the point where, yeah, it might be half the contract, but they're they're utilizing that money better. And they're also just at a better point in their development stage, or at least their testing and uh, in, in proof of concept stage. Right. They've it's under used- a... They've already used their the rockets to send uh, people to the ISS, whereas Boeing can't even send an unmanned uh, successful mission up there. So, right. yeah, when it's time to renew contracts, I imagine uh, there'll be some reconsidering. Yeah, I, I, oh, yeah. I definitely that or Boeing's gonna lobby heavy, <laughs> which I could see both happening. So yeah, alrighty, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. And uh, hopefully they can uh, get everything up there. I mean, I'm all for getting more stuff in space uh, in terms of like companies and stuff like that, at least exploring it. I'm not for the, the space junk problem, but like at least people to get up there, do things outside the atmosphere and stuff like that. I think that's super cool. So hopefully uh, Boeing can get their stuff together and uh, work through it. Cool. Um, Next article we have for you today is about Tesla. The Tesla Mega Pack battery burst into flames in Australia, but that's not the the, kind of the kicker here. It took 150 firefighters to put it out, and I completely understand why. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, actually, both of you guys um, probably would understand the implications of an electrical fire. Um, so yeah, (laughs) yeah, not too good. Also, not just, uh, the fact that it took 150 or over 150 firefighters to put up the fire, but it took four days to put out that fire. Good point. Uh, I was, I was hoping you'd mention that. 
Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> bad news bears on top of bad news bears. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not a fun one. Yeah, and, and they're not they're not even easy to they're not as easy to put out. Um so it's understandable it took that long, but also I think it, it is a sort of uh cautioning uh story now that this has happened that now they have an event to look back on and say, okay, we have to prevent this if we want to continue to push for these mega uh, battery packs to be produced and put online across the world. It's something that they need to uh, really make sure they prevent and test against to make sure that it, that doesn't happen. Well, the lithium ones too are extra volatile. Yeah, definitely. Yep. That's why, I mean, I know I touched on this last week, but he was talking about transitioning over to some kind of iron-based battery. And I have to imagine that'd be a lot uh, less explosive. Yeah, I remember in senior design, my senior year uh, at Purdue, um, we had in our labs, we had big buckets of sand. And so if something were ha to happen, you just chucked it in the sand. Um, I don't really know where the battery pack is and I believe it's Australia, um, yep. but maybe they could, uh, maybe they can have a bucket, uh, a sand bucket system where they could just Dump a ton of sand on it and uh, see if that works. So, so yeah, if by sand bucket you mean the bucket of like a dump truck to dump on it. Yeah, I'm like, so you're you're just saying like, at next to all these batteries, you think there should just be like a massive like silo full of sand that somebody, some poor guy, can just go and pull a lever and just flood the thing. I mean, I don't know about scaling the solution up if it actually works. It's me just spitballing and using a funny <laughs> story about. Yeah, my past experiences just and applying them to this, but I mean, who knows? It, <laughs> I, I mean, the problem is, is the battery weighs thirteen tons. There's your problem. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because you can scale up doesn't mean it will be effective. Me, me being eh, me knows? being a, a child at heart here is imagining some helicopter just like coming, like picking up like the burning battery and just like chucking it in a thing of sand, like conveniently next to the the bank of batteries here well i mean currently we have helicopters that drop all kinds of chemicals and and big tanks of water on wildfires who's to say they can't do the same thing with sand who knows who knows it'd be incredibly heavy but i know there's too right i know they do that very something similar for uh nuclear disasters and stuff like that they drop either sand or something else on it via helicopter so who knows? Leaded sand. Some, something like that. If only they dropped more sand at, uh, what was it in in, uh, in Russia? Sure. Chernobyl. Yeah. If only they had sand in Chernobyl. <laughs> hey. We'll All they see. had was snow. All they had was snow, yeah. Jeez. Well, we'll we will see how that goes. Hopefully this is, uh, whatever this the issue was, whatever the fault was here, the design engineers at Tesla... Uh, can figure out what the problem was and prevent that from happening again. Um, I hope that they will be able to do that. So we'll see. We will see. All righty. Next article for you tonight uh, is, <laughs> I think this is more or less of like an op-ed, I guess. But basically, um, there's this new book that came out saying that Elon Musk cleaned house of any Tesla workers who disagreed or got in his way through a new book. Uh, and I really like how Insider does this. A little side note here. I love how they have this little, like, TLDR at the top of, like, every article. Like, I 
think that's great. Um, I don't trust it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just read read the the text then. Uh, but yeah, basically they're just kind of ranting about the work culture and how everything was uh, um, de- dealt with in the very early days of Tesla here. Um, so this is kind of pivoting a little bit away from tech per se, but it's a technology company. And I want to get your guys' take on this. What's your opinions on CEOs like cleaning house of people who don't support their mission? Yeah, well, so I, I read I read the article mostly in full. Um and it kind of details Musk is a very uh, hands-on uh, executive, which is no surprise, and it's very widely known. Um, he sleeps in the factory, you know. He he lives near uh, where production happens, especially with uh, SpaceX. Um, in his case, though, I, I feel like it it led it absolutely led to uh, Tesla's issues. Uh, so specifically, in, in the case of executives uh, being very uh, laser focused on their employees with his case, uh, it led to some issues. It, uh, the article talks about how uh, he fired a lot of executives and led, it seemed to have led to the production issues uh, that the Model 3 ended up experiencing, which were, were pretty bad. It delayed the, the car by quite a bit and uh, it led to just a lot of concerns about the company. Um, I think that it's good to have a CEO that is hands-on and wants to be in it. Um, he really is more of an engineer than an executive. And he's even said and come out uh, and, and said that he wants, he doesn't really like being a, a leader or, or like a CEO. He, he would rather be like a, an engineer. Um, and I think it could actually benefit the company uh, because it seems like his more uh, hands-on role in the company has led to a bit of uh, not downfalls, but, but pitfalls. And, and, and issues and problems. And I quote, Tesla stock price too high in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's definitely an issue, especially when your CEO is hampering, you know, the production of your company when you're still trying to turn a profit. Um, they just recently, I believe in the last quarter, just turned a profit, uh, not only from selling their credits, but actually from car sales. So this is their first quarter where they were in the the green or whatever it is on finance um, from from car sales. Hmm. That's really good, and that needs to continue. And that won't continue if Musk is so hands on and and wants to fire people. It creates a toxic work environment. Um, and actually, there's another article that I, I didn't submit, but I just wanted to just quickly touch on that. That is related. Um, it, there is an article or a few articles that came out this week that uh, Elon Musk wanted the Model Y to not have a steering wheel. And the team that designed the Model Y did so anyway behind his back. That to me does not sound like a good work environment and not a company that is going to succeed. Hmm. Interesting point. Ryan? Oh, here's the thing. There's a part of me that's immediately... uh negative i guess towards whoever wrote this book just because it seems like such an obvious like way to make money to me just because of like who musk is and all that stuff to where like 
yeah, you went and write a book, you know you're going to sell a lot of copies of that versus, you know, doing maybe a more normal thing and just like going to going around and telling everybody that you can instead of writing a book about it. That being said, I I mean, I can obviously see him being a little like very much controlling over the company and all that. I mean, a lot of these CEOs have been in the past. Everyone I'm sure everyone's heard of like the legendary meltdowns of Steve Jobs where he asked them to uh make the iPod smaller. And they said, we literally can't do that. And then he took it, dropped it in the fish tank, and he said, see those bubbles? You can make it smaller. <laughs> I, I didn't know. So I can imagine it. That's, it's probably, what's the word, apocryphal. But, I mean, it illustrates the point that, like, he was brutal. Um, yeah, on the whole, I mean, I definitely believe him when he says he has Asperger's and all that. It makes for a, probably a very different kind of uh manager then you might get a different company although i will say uh after working at a few places people that kind of work culture where you hide things from higher ups is not as uncommon as you'd think i could like there's there's a lot of them that that's just kind of a part of it because people start to micromanage and stuff so you kind of the kind of individual teams kind of become more like uh, cells than uh, like an integrated team to the rest of the company. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. The point being, I'm not very satisfied with how the person went about bringing this up and all that. And uh, they might be telling the truth regardless, because I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't shock me to learn that, you know, he's pretty, uh, he's a little bit of a martinet. I could see it. I could definitely see it. Well, this is kind of changing gears a little bit, but the, the next story we have for you here is about some of the wildfires out west. And as you may or may not know, uh, there's a lot of wildfires out in the west coast of the U.S. right now, and uh, there's a lot of just turmoil out there with, with these fires. But... Um, in the fight for these fires, uh, basically, there's new startups and technology that's actually coming out of this using satellite imagery and other um, artificial intelligence and all that stuff to basically determine where fires are going to spread and then alerting uh, people in certain areas bef much sooner before the fires would affect them based on the rate of spread and all sorts of stuff like that. Basically... Uh, just saying like, hey, there's a lot of technology that's hopefully going to come out in the next couple of years uh, with stuff like that. And in my opinion, this is a wonderful application of satellite technology and any form of um, artificial intelligence and predicting that we can do to basically save people's lives, in my opinion. I think that this is somewhere where artificial intelligence can really help, but only if done correctly. There's the very, very big kicker on that. So, thoughts? I mean, yeah, I imagine it's going to target at-risk places. Uh, I don't think it's going to do anything to prevent the actual wildfires, because that seems somewhat policy-based for California. As someone who lived there for a while, it's uh, 
it's a mess. They they won't even let you like clear brush back from your house to a, a certain distance, which would probably stop your house from getting burnt down. Hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's a regulatory disaster. Hmm. I I never thought about that honestly. Ah oh, man, it's I when I was out there, there was highways on fire most of the summer. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. As as someone as an outsider looking in. I've never lived out west. I've only lived in well, two states, both in the Midwest. Um, yeah, as a western looking, native. Yeah, as an outsider looking in, um, yeah, technology will help uh, reduce the spread of a fire that's already occurring, and will help save lives when a fire occurs. But I think that there needs to be more proactive measures being taken, whether that is through regulatory measures of being able to, you know, clear out old brush, or if there's some sort of new technology uh, or drones that can be utilized, maybe to, you know, survey areas and, and check um, for old trees or, or debris that could possibly be uh, removed that would otherwise be set ablaze very easily. Um, I think that could be very helpful. Yeah, it's uh I, I find that unlikely. The I think what's gonna end up being the best case is going to be uh oh basically this being able to identify at risk areas. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. Uh for some reason, Ryan, you're frozen. That's super weird. Yeah, I was frozen in a really flattering image of myself while I was talking there for a while. Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Oh jeez, Fitz. Ah uh, jeez. <laughs> Alrighty, here. That fix me... it? No, that did not. Uh, give me one second here. Oh, you can all there look at it. There we go. That. We're uh -huh. good. I like that picture say, of my face. You could try. You could try the old turn it off and on trick. That's that's literally what I did. I turned off his source and then I turned it back on again. Good old advice there for anybody go. who has any tech issues: turn it off and back on again, and then escalate it to somebody who knows. So <laughs> <laughs> that usually fixes like ninety-five percent of problems. That's always question one exactly true exactly true. well moving on to our next article here uh this is actually a really cool article um which is research from all of our alma mater here uh purdue university came out with some pretty cool research in my opinion um basically saying that dark mode may not save your phone's battery life as much as you think um, long story short, this is a really interesting article. I highly encourage you giving this article a read on the Purdue Newsroom. Um, if you scroll down far enough, you may see yours truly somewhere else on there. So, uh, give you something to look for. Uh, but <laughs> man, just keep stroking your ego, man. Jeez. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> so long story short, it boils down to your screen technology in your phone. Uh, Basically, OLED organic light emitting diode screens um, don't have a traditional backlight like a liquid crystal display screen. So most phones that came after out after 2017 basically can turn the light in a specific area on and off instead of having one big light on in the background and only preventing some light from showing through. Now, that's supposedly a very good advancement for... Um, battery life but basically as this article says basically they're seeing three three to nine percent power savings on uh 
when switching into your dark mode on an OLED screen. So basically, you can switch your phone from light mode, where everything's nice and white, to dark mode, where everything's black and uh, dark. And basically, doing that with that specific type of screen saves 3 to 9% of battery, um, which kind of shows. The one thing that I found really interesting is this first scenario here, where they talk about the Purdue study found that switching from light mode to dark mode at 100% brightness on a sunny day saves 39 to 47% of battery power. Like, that's pretty big on a sunny day because of the way the, the colors switch on the screen, basically. My, that's my thought. So, I mean, there is one clarifying thing, though, about that. Um... That three to nine percent. That is specifically when your phone is at thirty to fifty percent brightness, so mid-range brightness. So basically, you're saying at mid-range brightness, you're not going to get a good benefit. But if you're at maximum brightness, you're going to get a significant benefit, which it does make sense to me. And essentially, what they're saying, they're still backing up their claim that yeah, dark mode it doesn't really help that much when you're at a lower uh, brightness level. But when you're at a higher brightness level, it's very obviously going to affect it. And yeah, when your phone's hot out in a sunny day, that'll also affect it too. Um, one other qualifying thing or, or thing to note about this uh, study, it was done purely on uh, Google apps and then also purely on Android phones. So not on any iOS devices. Um, not to say that that also can't be true for iOS devices, but it can only uh, hold if it can hold for iOS devices um, for anything after the iPhone 10, or essentially uh, any iPhone that has, or anything that has an iPhone, uh, or anything, any iPhone that has a OLED uh, screen. Um, so it's. <laughs> well, here's the qualifier. Uh, I don't know what iPhone's dark mode looks like. But one of the reasons it doesn't actually save as much as you'd think it would is because uh, when you put on a dark mode, it's not true black on most of the screen, like would be implied normally. It's more like a lot of grays and like light hues like that. Right. Where you're what really, yeah, yeah, what would truly like get you that power saving is if you went true black on most of the screen, because then those pixels are completely off. They're not on at all. That's the qualifier right there, yeah. Yeah. Even, even if they're on just a little bit, that's still using electricity. So yeah, yeah. and there's a minimum amount you're going to need to turn the pixels on. Well, that's what I'm saying. Really... Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh no, what I'm just saying is you could actually fix that in software if companies implemented their dark mode as like mostly true black. So it's interesting you did say that because part of the article kind of touts the uh, prowess of this software that the researchers developed to study the power savings. And so I believe they're trying to either monetize it or uh, pan it off to other companies to use it to try and tune their, tune their hardware such that they can actually really get the maximum power savings out of their devices uh, that are on AMOLED or OLED uh, screen technology. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, it is, and I guess maybe I haven't looked in this uh, as much as I could have, but, um, I thought because they're OLED screens that that technology is inherently just turning on and off pixels, that it's not just dimming down the color of the screen like a typical uh, LED screen would. Well, each pixel provides its own light, so you don't need a backlight. So when you do true black, you technically get what they call infinite contrast, 
because true black isn't like there's not a backlight behind it and the pixel is trying to block light it's just there's no light coming from there so it's just black yeah the pixel's just off right yeah and that's why that's but used grays are still require power is the thing exactly and if you look at most dark modes and all that there's a lot of grays it's not all like true black well well you got to be careful there though because the study specifically on this uh, dark mode was done for the apps themselves not exactly the phone so you can't fault the phone for that i can fault dark modes in general i can just fault all dark modes because phones too it's mostly grays Sure. I'm looking, I have a phone right here. The dark mode is mostly gray instead of like sure. true black and providing like little areas that are light lit up. Well, I, I think the, uh, the brilliant part here about the, the entire article and all the research that they've done is you, you hinted to this a little earlier, Grislow, basically where these researchers are now able to develop software that can give you a profile of how your app is doing in terms of energy savings and how uh, embraceive of dark mode. Embraceive? I don't even know if that's a word. Yeah. But like how how well you mind. embrace dark mode. So. Yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, some changes to where you could have you know light mode, dark mode, and then like I don't know. Super gray mode. Midnight. I don't know what you want to call it. Or even extra more. dark. I mean. I mean, I then at that point, I would just ask that dark mode is truly dark mode. That it's not, you know, gray yeah. mode. Well, I imagine they made that decision for aesthetic reasons. One hundred percent. I'm sure. So I have to imagine the grays look better than just having like voids of black all over your screen. But I digress. I mean, with the always-on displays, a dark mode is imperative. Um, I don't, I mean, the whole point of that is just to really only turn on the pixels that you need and to show the pertinent information that is very uh, small comparative to anything yeah. else that notifications or whatever, like uh, like on the, you know, the, the my, my watch. Oh yeah, it still uses less power. It's just, there is still a little bit of power needed to turn those pixels on. So it's still not living up to its full potential. But at that point, is it really software or is it just hardware limitations? No, it's software. You take the pixel and you tell it to be black. Yes. Because then, then it knows not to turn on now instead you... of telling it to be gray. Yes, because... I don't know. To me, it seems like pretty true black. Well, in, in some case, I mean, I'm not sure about iPhone stuff or, or anything like that with, with the dark mode in particular, but definitely for android i've seen apps that have your your light mode your dark mode and then basically like like midnight dark mode or something something like that where it they will physically tell the the screen i don't need any light on this entire area here only turn on these ones at like full brightness like this this specific pixel for like an email i know my email app does that so i can um say okay i want light mode dark mode and like super dark mode where it's gonna basically turn that into um just turn it off and save that energy so even some phone yeah, power I mean, I savers think... mode do exactly that where they only limit certain processes and give you a very 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 black and reduced ui so you can save as much battery life as possible 
Yeah, I think ultimately maybe dark mode for the apps, specifically for the apps. Um, you know, all these Android apps, it was YouTube, it was, uh, I don't know if it was Gmail. There were, there were six Android or, or Google apps. Yeah. Um, to me, I think they just need to, they can't quite say they're dark mode. They maybe can't. a better way of branding they're it. They're gray. Is maybe, okay, well, yes, right. I mean, like, so for example, I have YouTube pulled up. Where's my camera? So right do here. I. And you can, you can see that, I mean, that's black. That's not so black. Now, granted, I don't have a screen or a phone with an OLED screen, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This is not um, true black. I think they they can't really, or they shouldn't be calling them dark mode because I think that implies that it truly is uh, a full black experience. And maybe they should call it like, I don't know, something something that has to do with being easy on the eyes because ultimately that's kind of the point of dark mode. Yeah, like some sort of like, I don't know. Call like it noir reduced... mode. <laughs> like nah, noir you have to be careful with that though, because that, that has to do with color temperature and that that will change that will change the screen in a different way. Not I know, it's just an expression. Way. Something like it. Yeah. I don't, grayscale mode, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think grayscale would probably be a better um, way to brand this because I think dark mode is, is a little, uh, it, it's a little in, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it makes people have a wrong impression of, of what actually uh, is happening. Well, I agree. And good, good job by the researchers over at Purdue to um, take care of that and answer a uh, pretty age old question. Um, I didn't have Hell Purdue. This, yeah, exactly. I didn't have the specific age professor, old. but uh, go ECE. Uh, I didn't graduate. What professor was it? <laughs> uh, professor. Give me one second. Uh, yeah, I don't think I had the professor, but uh, Charlie who? Yeah, no. Ooh. Stop. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Gosh. Always That's with actually, the no, That gets two thumbs down. That, boo -hoo, that boo -hoo. Yeah, no, that was for you. Boo hoo, boo. Jeez, uh, Ryan. Stop. No. <sighs> when will it stop? But anyway, uh, moving on to actually something else college related here. Um, in the coming, uh, this was from the Apple Newsroom. I thank you to uh, Grislow for submitting this one. Uh, student IDs are coming to iPhone and Apple Watch. Uh, basically, it's expanding to more universities. There's an example here for Auburn. Uh, and they detailed a bunch of schools down here. University of New Brunswick, Sheridan College, uh, Northern Arizona University, Auburn, University of Maine, New Mexico State, and many other colleges. That's pretty cool. I think it's it's pretty cool to to have it on your phone. The only issue is when you're having a good time, uh, your phone dies, you don't have your ID card with you, and you can't get into wherever you live. So that's my only thought. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. Um, the only reason I sent this article in was. I already knew that um, after WWDC this year, Apple was pushing for more and more uh, cards to be put on and identification to be put on uh, Apple wallets so or passports or not passports, but uh, driver's licenses um, and, and other things. I didn't realize that they already, because this article implies that this has already started, um, that they've already been using uh, Apple student IDs. Um, I didn't realize that was already a thing. And even if it wasn't, I didn't realize that was going to be a thing. And I think you bring up a really good point. 
yeah, if you die, if your phone dies and you're out, um, you know, at a friend's place or you're even just out, you know, studying and you for, you go back to your dorm and your phone's dead and you don't have a charger with you, which, I mean, let's be honest, like it doesn't happen all the time. It's 2021. Like everyone's got a charger cable on them now, but it happens, right? Um, you forget a charging cable and now you can't get it into your dorm. That is sort of a problem. And, and also, uh, in another instance, let's, let's say another scenario, your phone dies and you need to get into the dining court to get food. And now you can't get in because you don't have your student ID. I think though, the point of this is to have an alternative, um, means of identification. So you don't have to carry around your, your physical student ID, just like you don't, they're trying to make it. So you don't have to physically carry around, you know, your credit card, your debit card, um, your driver's license, but that's not to say that you should not carry around all of those things anyway, even if you have them on your phone. Having them on your phone is just uh, a way to be, you know, have a more convenient way of, of transporting these things. And uh, yeah, I don't recommend going around putting all of your cards on your phone uh, and not also carrying around the physical card. That's not a good idea. I do not recommend that. Yeah, very good point. So my question is, is this through Apple Wallet or is this through their own apps? Through, through Apple, Apple Wallet. Wallet. Okay, never mind. And I was about to I was about to say I hated this because I don't know what you, data that universities collected on me, but <laughs> very real. Yeah. That's a real concern. No, but if it's through Apple wallets, it's probably, you know, then it's just Apple collecting data on you, which is normal. To to quote the article well, here. Uh, <laughs> I hate that it is, but well, I mean, it's oh, not, I mean, they're not really collecting that data, at least from everything. Oh, I they are. And, they just don't really sell it, I don't think. Well, you can opt in to sharing data, especially like, for example, when something happens to your phone, but also a lot of the um, like encryption and, and personal things stay on device. So they don't go out. Don't forget. Yeah, sure. Work. But they're still okay, probably. You could, be, you could be skeptical about it, but that's, that's Listen, the reality of it. Apple location. Privacy for for look, at least last three or four years and being that's very, fine very and you can say that all they can say that all they want and they're still going to grab your location they're still going to grab probably adsense kind of things those kind of things just I could end of the it. day i could see it and here's, here's i understand that they're probably not selling it to anyone and they're probably using it for their own products and services i get that i don't trust anybody and that's fair to be skeptical but that's you mean you could be skeptical all you want. I'm telling you, you still have to. I, you know, I promise you, I, I'm gonna point, go. You at some point have to give in to at least what we all believe to be the truth. That's fair. There are plenty of conspiracies that have proven to be true, and this could be a conspiracy that could be proven to be true. I'm not saying a conspiracy. I'm saying, listen, maybe I'll come back next week after reading their terms and service. All right, but I promise you, they're collecting some data in order to, at the very least, deal with their own services. Collecting Period. data on location is far different than collecting data oh, I'm not on saying... your credit cards and your... Oh, no, I'm not saying data. they're doing anything like that. I'm just saying that they are collecting some data on you. Right, and either way, you mean... your your university is going to have access logs of whatever, whatever you do. That's just inherent whether you... Have oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was... So I had imagined this is going to be the university's own app. No. No, that's how I had imagined it in my head, because no, I guess I didn't read it carefully it, enough. And then if that's the case, I would imagine that the university is trying to ping your location. The university is trying to get whatever they can about you. 
And they even do By that By the way, Ryan, I'd give you $10 to read all of Apple's terms of services because, or terms of service. Because <sighs> ain't no chance you're getting me to do that. You know what? I have a Kindle. I'll download it on that and I'll read it. <laughs> Happy reading. Yeah, ha- have fun. Uh, I can only stomach so much legalese. Oh, jeez. Maybe I'll find into what do you call it? Maybe someone's gone through and highlighted the important parts for me. <laughs> the TL. It'll be just as exciting as reading U.S. tax codes. I guarantee. Speaking of U.S. tax codes, no. All righty. Speaking of which, uh, <laughs> our next are actually you're going to have to take out a, a second mortgage to get this one. But uh, Qualcomm and Asus made a phone for Snapdragon insiders. The $1,500 handset comes with a pair of Master and Dynamic wireless ANC earbuds. So, Ryan, I'm, I'm going to let you take this one. Uh, you were really, Sure, I love this. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you were so, gung-ho on this. So. To start with, the headphones, I think, are like $200 regardless. But uh, I like this just as like a concept. I don't know who it's for, who's actually going to buy it, to be honest. But I like the idea because it seems like Snapdragon was like, all right, a lot of people are starting to make their custom silicon. Let's really put out what we think we can do with our device and all that. And they partnered with Asus to build it. But I mean, it's a top of the line uh, phone. I mean, it's 144 refresh rate, you know, beautiful screen, you know, the whole set of three cameras. Wi-Fi and what actually, yeah, Wi-Fi 6, all that. 5G, all that good stuff. What actually popped out to me was uh, this new thing, I guess they're pushing called Snapdragon Sound that I hadn't heard of before. Uh, if you use an Android phone, you know about uh, AppDex, which is their custom uh, audio codec that's really, really good. And if you're getting, if you're on an Android and you're getting anything audio related, I recommend trying to get that because AAC doesn't always play well with Android's uh, code base. But uh, I thought this was really interesting. It's basically like all of their codec and all the cool stuff with that packed into, I guess, one kind of name versus normal. So it's, yeah, it's 24-bit, 96 kilohertz audio, which for those of you who <laughs> know what that means, it means it sounds very, very good which is really impressive for wireless to be 24-bit, 96 kilohertz. Definitely, definitely. And it, it, it's cool, too, because um, I'm I'm not super-duper familiar with the phones that Asus has in their lineup now, but... Oh, I am. They're really nice, actually. Okay, yeah. It's it's nice to see some another, like, another Challenger approaches, like like that yeah. type of thing. So it, it's good to see. I mean, the one thing that I'm just a little skeptical about is like, I get why they're doing this. Why does it have to be $1,500? <laughs> I don't know why it has to come with that. The headphones are worth 200. So let's knock it down to 13, but still. So let's, let's halt for a second there. I mean, this is a premium smartphone and it's competitive. It's competing in the premium smartphone market. This goes up against a lot of the other premium brand smartphones, you know, the, you know, the iPhones, the, the Samsungs. Um, I, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds to me like it has a higher refresh rate than the Samsungs. It absolutely does than the iPhone. Uh, probably the same. Probably the it's same got, as the Samsungs. It's got 
I mean, it, I don't know if it has better cameras than the Samsung, but it absolutely does. Uh, It'll be comparable. Better, it has better sensors than the iPhone for sure. Um, it's a sleek, you know, bodied phone. It, it's really nice looking. It, um, it's got 5G. I think it also says sub 5 millimeter, um, that, which is like the good uh, kind. Um, and it basically has this, like, the step below the best Snapdragon chip. Um, and what was it, 512 gigs of uh, storage? Yeah. Yeah. That's so it's, probably it's the loaded. biggest downside to it. But other than that, in the premium smartphone market, I think it actually fares pretty well. And not just that it's a really good phone in that market, but and you're paying for it, it in, in baked into the, the cost of yeah. the phone. But you're getting those those headphones. And you're also taking advantage of that technology. I think it's a really interesting phone. This article is actually a few weeks old. It just went uh, on sale, I believe, or started getting uh, pre-orders as of like last two days or three days. Um, but I think it's really cool, ultimately, uh, that, that Qualcomm is, for, is starting a little foray into the smartphone market. They're the people that have been behind all the chips that go into the crazy phones. Um, and so, and not only that, um, but we're seeing all of these smartphone companies make their own chips for their phones. It's not only are they making chips, but they're making their own chips and now they're put in their own phones. So the technology, um, and the, the code, um, the software have a good, uh, kind of synchronization and that can only be, and that can only be optimized. Uh, over time. Yeah, hopefully yeah. Snapdragon has a few trips, tricks to really get a lot of the extra features and really, you know, I imagine they have to know how to push their hardware better than anybody. Yeah. Right. Uh, side note, a 512 gigabit uh, iPhone 12 Pro is a five hundred is $1,300, so the same okay. price. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's... If you knock off for the headphones, that is. Yeah, no, it absolutely is competitive in price. And honestly, I think that people will want to take advantage of the technology and they'll probably end up buying those uh, wireless earbuds anyway. Yeah, and I imagine... The question, though, is what uh, software is that phone running? What's, what oh, version it's running Android. Android. Yeah, Android 11. Uh, newest version, it'll be running Asus's, I believe it's called the one... It's either Zen UI or... I think it's Zen UI, right? So, something like that. I'm pretty sure that's Zen UI. One UI is someone else. Yeah, I, oh, I, I know the answer. It's not tip my tongue. I just can't remember. Yeah, but it's definitely Zen UI because they have their Zen phone, their Zen phone flip, and then they have the ROG phone. Hmm. I mean, is is the is the software any good? Yeah, that's actually one of my favorites. Really? Yeah, it's not my favorite. My favorite is still probably uh, OnePlus's version of Android, and then Google's behind it. But uh, it's probably like my third or fourth favorite. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. Well, one other feature that is going to be uh, coming to Android, I guess you could say, um, with the uh, the introduction of MagSafe, is this new technology uh, called Realme, the MagDart, Magnetic Wireless Charging Service. So basically, long story short, it's basically um, an Android version of MagSafe. Uh, where you can basically add a battery pack, you can charge it, you could do all this normal stuff that um, you could do with with um, MagSafe stuff, but it's MagDart. 
and they're not compatible with each other. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that. What What do you guys think about this? It's third party MagSafe on steroids. That's what it is. I mean, Apple does not have uh, was it fifty watt uh, puck charger for their no their Apple doesn't MagSafe charge anything phones. quickly. Ah, uh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, they, I mean, it's not a thing. The technology is barely a year old, um, or at least put into production into a phone that's publicly available, barely been out for a year. Yeah, no, wireless charging that fast is insane. Yeah, it's absurd. Um, I think it's cool because uh, from what I was seeing and what I was hoping um, after MagSafe came out would be that third-party uh, accessory makers would start making phones cases and, and accessories for phones that didn't already have MagSafe, so older iPhones and Android phones, um, and make them compatible with the technology. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for it to happen for the iPhone, and it really hasn't happened. And this seems to be one of the first instances uh, where a third-party developer has successfully created the technology, not only for um, the charging, but you know they have case accessories and wallets and stuff too. Actually, one of the cooler ones uh, one of the cooler accessories is a it's kind of like a ring light that uh, flips up from the back of the phone, and it's for taking selfies, um, which I think is kind of cool. It's interesting, and it's different from uh, other things that I've seen. I haven't really seen anything like that yet. I've just seen kind of like big attachments, nothing that kind of is more discreet and flips down to the back of the phone. Um, but, yeah, I, I've been looking and waiting for this to happen with other third-party accessory makers. And the fact that it's coming to Android, I think, is is really cool. Now, the question is, how quickly can they expand it uh, to uh, support a wide range of phones? And then also, how can they make that 50-watt technology uh, smaller? Because right now, they have to have, and which you'll probably never get around, but they have to have uh, a fan in there. And it's fairly bulky. It's not like Apple's uh, puck. Right. But the reason is because it's 50 watts. Yeah, right. I think we actually touched on this either one or two episodes ago. 50 watt wireless charging is just unnecessary. True. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah. 15. How about 15? That's that's good enough. But but the interesting thing here, and something they mentioned in the article, um, and something that I don't put app put past Apple doing. Um, you know, Apple's goal is to have this sleek, slender you know, all glass slab, no ports, no physical buttons, nothing no that can get water in it and damage the phone. So to, at least to me, MagSafe is a test run of can this technology work? Will people uh, take to it and take to it so much so that we can and optimize it so much so that we can get rid of the charging port. Now you throw on this uh, 50 watt wireless charger well shoot why do you need a a wired charger now technically this is not true wireless i understand that but this is sort of i guess like a hybrid between the two technologies that i think is more likely to uh sort of invade the market um because we're not going to get crazy wireless charging um for a long long time they're working on you know in you know in room uh like beaming technology but it's really slow and it's incredibly uh, energy inefficient and costly. So I think this technology, if it can be 
uh, optimized, made smaller, you know, faster, even despite it already being incredibly fast. Um, I see this kind of being a new charging solution for a lot of people, much more so than conventional wireless charging. Yeah, I, could see I mean, there is, there is an existence a 50 watt, uh, like genuinely wireless charger, but that's only for OnePlus and it also needs a fan because I mean, it just throws so much heat. I mean, yeah, how could it not? Yeah. Who knows? Honestly, I'm still... I would love to see some like uh, gaming versions of this, you know, with the RGB lights and like water cooling. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's, I can that's see. Uh, I can see. What's the company? I can see Razer doing that if they haven't already. Razor, oh, Asus. Hire me. I just gave you your next big million dollar idea. I'm surprised Asus hasn't done it for their ROG phones already because those literally have RGBs along the back. It's crazy. <laughs> Weird. That's nuts. Well, speaking of gaming, here our next article is about Facebook and uh, Facebook recalls or excuse me recalled. 4 million Oculus Quest 2 headset components. Long story short, they re they um, recalled the like face shield for their um, uh, Oculus Quest 2 uh, headsets. And long story short, there were skin irritations and people had to get like, go to the hospital and get like skin rashes and stuff treated. Um, basically, they just realized, huh, there's trace amounts of skin irritant in this... Uh, in this plastic and the manufacturing. Uh, so what they're going to do is they're just going to put like a silicone, basically like cap over it to prevent that from happening. Um, and they halted their sales actually um, to fix that issue uh, while, while they're getting everything worked out here. So kind of crazy. That's my, for sure. My biggest question is why would they opt to make these protectors, these covers, Versus just making a silicone um, face shield or face uh, bumper. So the the cloth headsets are actually much more comfortable and breathable. Um, yeah. That's that's the big thing. They're they're breathable. So like silicone. I'm pretty sure they're like, also cheaper. That too. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> like if if you have a piece of cloth against your face as opposed to like basically a piece of rubber, uh, you're yeah. you're gonna have to like rip it off when uh you're uh you're done and that's gonna hurt it's not gonna be breathable you're gonna be sweaty like right yeah, i think but, but i mean if they're gonna include these if they're halting production or or sales to put these in every box that implies that they're almost expecting most users especially out of abundance of caution to put this on the product as soon as they get it so in that case why don't they just create a, a silicone bumper and they might the, now. The phone, the, they uh, they the might now, one. yeah. They might now. They, I, did, I don't think they expected this. This is a recall. Uh, they probably like did tests and stuff with like in-house and all that. And no one had issues. But you know, you scale that up to all of a sudden you're selling, I don't know, 50 million of these. And all of a sudden you might have a bigger percentage of people who have, I'm going to guess sensitive skin because I know people who have Quest 2s and they've never experienced that. Right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Fitz, but I believe it was only something like 47 or somewhere in the upper 40s uh, number of complaints, um, at least recently, if not since so last November, December. In the article here, it says that uh, 
after more than 5,000 users reported it caused skin irritation and 45 users needed medical yeah. attention. Okay, okay. That'd so be that, why. So I imagine... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I imagine it's something they just really weren't expecting and just all of a sudden, you know, you start scaling stuff up and a point like oh one percentage thing looks a lot worse. Right, definitely. I mean, I, I guess the other point that I, I want, I would like to bring up is if that's the case and they're having to produce these new silicone covers or op, uh, alternatively replacing these cloth uh, inserts with silicone ones, I, I think they should probably, or, or why aren't they uh, doing a more thorough investigation of the manufacturing process and trying to find alternatives for uh, this skinnier tint that's showing up. Oh, they in, probably will now. In their product. Right. Oh, 100%. Yeah, they're, they're definitely. They probably will now. I'm pretty sure they have something similar on the uh, Rift S, but it didn't come up in that for some reason. So maybe mm -hmm. they went with a different manufacturer this time. Maybe something changed person to person. I don't know. Who knows? I imagine from now on, though, they'll do what you just said and like actually really look into this because recalls are not something any company wants to go through. Right. They're not. Absolutely. They're not well, anyway, moving on to our next article here, uh, we have um, we're going to go through this one relatively quickly because it's mostly speculation. Uh, but Intel leaked shows Thunderbolt speeds could double sometime soon. Long story short, a bunch of uh, uh, tech watchdog peoples saw some executives at Intel tweet some pictures with some uh, pictures in the background suggesting that uh, the excuse me, Thunderbolt 5 uh, could have a higher speed. Uh, so I forget where they, here it is, 80G PHY technology. So perhaps 80 gigabit per second? Who knows? Like, uh, I, I don't know. It's it's very big speculation, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, I tend to try and not send in... Uh stories about leaks and things just because nothing can really ever be confirmed. And I personally like more to talk about the products when they come out or the technology when it comes out, because it's much more reliable to get it from the source than um, to get it from a secondhand, you know, source who may have seen it or not. Um, but this to me was actually really important to send just because this would potentially double the speed of Thunderbolt as it is right now. And they hadn't done much uh, with the previous iteration of Thunderbolt. And so I think this would be a, a massive improvement um, and also considering the circumstances of them, you know, taking it down and, and it being kind of hush hush, it seems very likely that this is going to happen. And if that is the case, uh, I'm pretty excited for this. Yeah, it'll be pretty cool. Definitely. It's yeah, cool. I don't know. I feel like Thunderbolt, there's not a lot that normal people get out of it. Maybe there's some really good, uh, what do you call it? We'll see. Like accessories. Desktop. Yeah. yeah, like the desktop things with all the I.O. on them. I'm losing the word for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, or like docs? Docs, thank you. There you go. Maybe there's some really good docs and stuff that might actually still benefit from this, but 80 gigs a second, man, seems more like very much like a power user thing. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully that's fact and not just a bunch of lies. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, on you, Intel. It's on your lightning cables or USB C, USB C, like um, cables. Well, Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt's a USB C cable now. 
Good point. Right. All righty. Yeah. Uh, next uh, art- next article we have here. I know we- I want to save a little bit of time. We're running pretty decently. The next couple stories uh, after this one, Ryan really wants to talk about. So uh, mm-hmm. one of the one of the articles that I have here is just kind of one of these like uh, kind of like mishmash articles from Forbes. Basically, will Amazon accept crypto? Hint: the answer is no. But what I wanted to uh, talk about here is this art, this section of the article here. A man used AI to bring back his deceased fiance, but the creators of the tech warned it could be dangerous and used to spread misinformation. Long story short, uh, there's a new service out there that will allow you to basically provide information from a uh, somebody who is deceased or something like that, and it will create an AI based on their personality, what it learned from those messages and such. So somebody did this to bring back his fiance, and this can be very bad. I hate this. So this I, was a plot of a movie. I love that cup, by the way, Ryan. RIP of the mm. cactus. Um, yeah, no, this is I. Don't remember what movie it was, and I was trying to find her? it before the show, and I couldn't. It's her. Um, I'm like 95% sure. Well, her wasn't a deceased person. It was just, it was a advanced AI, as far as I'm aware, from what I remember from the movie. I think so. Um, but no, there, there's a movie where someone does bring back their uh, deceased family member or like wife or something, and it goes awry because science fiction movies go that way. Um, but... So, so the article that is attached to that through Business Insider uh, goes on to say that this technology is actually derived from uh, t- one of Elon Musk's companies, uh, OpenAI, um, and it's based off of the second version or third version uh, of the software. Um, they had limited uh, res- they had limited access to the software because uh, Elon Musk had said that people have to understand the consequences of this and fully recognize that. Uh, before it's more widely available. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's a really sad case of this uh, use case of this software. I mean, yeah, I can understand someone grieving the loss of their uh, loved one, uh, you know, a brother, sister, girlfriend, uh, husband, wife, whatever, uh, boyfriend. But um, yeah, this, it does not, this does not lead to a healthy lifestyle and it doesn't really help someone fully move on. Um, and so I'm not quite sure if this is really technology that's being used for the greater good. Ugh, I hate this. Makes me all kinds of uncomfortable. All righty, let's hear it. Is that, is oh, that no, just that's it? The oh, okay. That's it? For sure. I mean, obviously it could be abused and misused and all that. It's just, it really makes me like deeply uncomfortable that people do this. Yeah, I mean, it definitely can lead to, as the article suggests, um, people being able to create, you know, fake people and, and using it to scan people and, you know, basically using this technology for nefarious purposes, which it's not the first time you'll ever hear me say this or anyone say this. And it's not the, the last time um, this has been a, an issue with, uh, you know, chatbots and technology uh, for ages, especially since technology started. Right. Um, and I think what also accelerated this sort of discussion was. I can't remember what the name of the project was, but uh, when Google came out with their like AI chatbot that could call people and, for example, you know, make haircut appointments or call and make a reservation, and it made it sound like a really uh, convincing person on the one side of the line. 
starts with an A. A I Google think. Assistant could do that. No, it's 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 a different thing. It's like uh, not Astros. I don't know. On the Pixel phones, you could do a lot of crazy stuff. Back when Pixel had uh, what was it? The uh, Neural Core, I think, is what they called it. Hmm. Neural Engine, something like that. Duplex. I think that's the Pixel Three. Google Duplex is the name of that. Right. Yeah, and that's what two years older or so, maybe three. Uh, twenty eighteen. So yeah, so three yeah, years. Three years. But yeah, I mean, this technology like this, and the fear that it's gonna this technology is gonna be used for nefarious purposes, you know, is always gonna be around. Um, it's whether or not people use it for good purposes, and also just healthy lifestyle purposes. Like I said, I don't really think that something like this, where you resurrect a loved one, is really healthy for a grieving individual. All. Yeah, it's not. It's sad. That's like, it, it dude, is, that's like three steps from plotting world domination after your wife dies. I don't quite think it goes that far. Okay. But listen, I just, could work this into the plot. The human, it, I can no, work I, this into the plot of a superhero movie. A grieving person's trying to bring back his wife at any cost. All right. I can work this into a movie. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I mean, this is the plot of science fiction where it usually does go kind of awry. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and, and more of the story here. I don't really think this technology is good for this purpose, um, and it's not healthy for for people. Right. People have to move on. They have to accept death. They have to accept the reality of death. Um, it's hard to do, and it's uh, it's a way of life. But you have to be able to do it. All right. This is a tech welcome to philosophy podcast. talk nation. Uh, <laughs> welcome to philosophy talk nation. There we go. But anyway, yes, I completely agree with you, um, and. We'll we'll see where this goes. I just don't want a million Karen bots uh, trolling me on Twitter, uh, telling me wrong information. So we'll leave it at that. Um, the next two articles here, uh, Ryan uh, really wants to to talk about. The first one we have uh, here yes. is the SEC needing more power from Congress to fully regulate the crypto. Uh, like crypto markets and stuff like that. Um, and then the next article we have after that is about a new Ethereum fork that will help yes. uh, Ethereum outpace Bitcoin, Pantera, uh, or the 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 uh, CEO of this this capital company predicts. So um, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love to hear your take on these two, Ryan. Absolutely. As usual, I am not a financial advisor. None of us are financial advisors. Take everything we say with several grains of salt. Or a chunk. That being said, um, the whole SEC wanting to like step up the regulation really, really irritates me. Um, I'm just kind of angry at them in general because it's this kind of regulation of things like the US dollar and all that that's I mean, that's kind of what ended up spawning crypto in the first place is everyone was, or I imagine, for example, Satoshi and all that were kind of fed up with the way current uh, fiat money works. And if you talk to like a lot of the people who are really into crypto, we all, <laughs> we all, a lot of us don't like fiat at all because it is subject to so much manipulation and regulation and all that. Like, for example, I mean... Uh, What's this? What's inflation? It's been like five percent month over month for four or five months now. Something, Something along like those lines. Like it, it's it's increasing at a very high rate. Yeah, it's these and it's these kind of government stepping in and all that that leads to these like rapid, wild 
uh, kind of less predictable swings because, you know, someone's stepping in out of nowhere to try and regulate and try and change uh, a market from being a free market to being a controlled, like, you know, government or government regulated thing rather than this is a free market. It will, you know, work according to supply and demand. And this is honestly, it's, yeah, this is going on on a couple fronts right now. This is one of them. Uh, the recent infrastructure bill that we brought up earlier during the testing, God knows why someone decided to try and shove a bunch of crypto regulations in there as well. And honest, uh, the Sounds outcome of right. those, yeah, someone decided they wanted to shove things. Honestly, the, it looks terrible. The outcome of uh, the regulations they want to put in it kind of makes it look like only like really big players can end up becoming crypto miners because of all the stupid legal minutiae and blocks they're trying to like shove into everybody's way. Hmm. That's my, that was my take on trying to like read through and summarize those additions to the uh, infrastructure bill. Interesting. But generally my, the, to sum up my point, uh, people created crypto because they were irritated with fiat regulation and fiat manipulation and them stepping in annoys me deeply. For the people that don't know, can you uh, define fiat? Oh, sure. Uh, fiat's basically uh, unbacked paper money. So fiat currency, I believe is what we switched to. I wanna say 64 was the last time we had any kind of uh, material like one-to-one -one backing with our currency because that's when we eliminated silver from our coins. We went off the gold standard in the 30s, right? I think. Yeah, something like that. So then fiat becomes basically just government-backed money. It's just the government saying like, hey, we're still printing currency. This is what we're going to use. And, you can't, and there's not a like solid asset completely behind it. And we've kind of played with that a little bit in the forming of OPEC and all that. We kind of, because oil can only be purchased in US dollars. It's a whole geopolitical mess that we've kind of insinuated ourselves into, but that's the basics of fiat money. And it kind of spits in the face of how paper currency even came to be in the first place, which is really just to represent something physical that people value. And now it's completely abstracted. So, right. so how do you feel that with this new Ethereum shift, how do you feel like this ah. is kind of relating the two? Sure. So this is interesting because one of the things that a lot of people who are down on fiat money, I'm admittedly one of them. Uh, I have to preface this by saying, once again, none of us are financial advisors at all. Talk to a real one if you want to actually invest or do something with this. But uh, this, the changes to Ethereum are going to be very, very interesting. Because, I mean, as is the case with uh, basically all paper currency, and as is the case with uh, the currency, or with even cryptocurrency, is just by nature, it tends to be inflation. It tends to be inflationary. Gosh meaning you're expanding the supply of money basically for as long as its life cycle is. And I mean, in a normal like economy, that's 
you don't want to do a lot of inflation because that basically devalues your money and makes it worthless. Generally, you want just enough inflation so that everyone can, uh, so you have enough money to actually like go around and so everyone can hold a bill. There's a fine art and a certain like percentage of inflation to GDP that I think people generally consider ideal. Uh, that's getting into the weeds with economics. Uh, the new change to Ethereum completely bucks this in a very interesting way. Uh, the big, big headliner here is that when doing transactions on the Ethereum net or on the Ethereum network, you generally pay for a transaction to be done and you're paying the miner to basically carry out the transaction on their computer and they generally take the pay and at the same time they're trying to they also get paid in Ethereum for doing the mining, more or less. So the really interesting part is now when you're making that payment, part of it is going to be burnt, is the word they use. So that's going to disappear from circulation. So all of a sudden, uh, there's less Ethereum in supply. So if everyone liked to go back to high school economics with me, all of a sudden, supply is going down, demand is theoretically staying the same. That means Ethereum is, could theoretically become a lot more valuable if this does end up having a deflationary effect, which would be very, very interesting and would probably see Ethereum uh, eclipse Bitcoin faster than it may have already been headed. I could see that. Mm. I could see that. It says, um, it's, it says you'll see one of the, uh, the, quotes in this article says you'll see a transition of people who want to store wealth doing it in other rather than just bitcoin uh yeah basically saying that it will reduce the mining energy needed to to mine the, the coin and uh basically help grow it bigger than than bitcoin per se because you have yeah. that you're going to pay that transaction cost and with that transaction cost you're just gonna basically burn some of that coin anyway it doesn't go to the miner. It doesn't go to whatever. You're, it just doesn't exist. Yeah, anymore. a certain base fee is getting burnt from the uh, supply. Uh, there's some concern with how miners are going to react to this and whether or not they think their profits are going to go up or down. And that'll, you know, factor into the success of this. Uh, Crypto is a very strange uh, market compared to normal m monetary system. So... True. There's a little, little more balancing that goes in than just straight printing money, but it's a very, very interesting and radical change. Definitely. Because I don't, this is the first, I think, crypto asset to basically attempt to burn off some of its excess currency. Right. Yeah, and we, we definitely will have to see when, when this all uh, pans out and all of that stuff. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how the market reacts to a, a cryptocurrency that, in a way, is backed by an asset almost. Uh, I mean, you kind of have that with the way other things work too, and you could argue Bitcoin is backed with compute power and electricity is their their assets, but I I don't know. I mean, I think it's backed with no more or less than normal fiat money in my opinion right now. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, 
I, I think it has just about the same legitimacy of backing, in my opinion. So we'll, we will. It's not the same as having you know a physical asset backing it, but I mean, normal money doesn't really have that anymore anyway. True. So we will. Yeah. See I mean, I think in the end, it just kind of makes uh, specifically this uh, type of cryptocurrency a little more feasible to be um, used more, just because it has the ability to um, kind of shirk the sort of inflation. Uh, fears that you could incur with cryptocurrency. Um, and I, I think it is kind of unique that they're doing this. And not to mention that, you know, e Ethereum is on the rise and it is, it can be, you know, seen neck and neck with Bitcoin. This absolutely pushes it past it. What I'm curious uh, uh, or, or looking forward to see is how Bitcoin reacts to this. And if they're going to implement some sort of uh, similar feature where they do the same thing and try and stay competitive, um, or or will Ethereum truly uh, rise above and uh, maintain uh, some sort of uh, crypto dominance? I think Bitcoin will probably not do much to change what they are. They have their proof of stake. They're the biggest right now. They're probably just going to ride it through, and I don't think they're going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a financial advisor. Don't do anything based off what I say. Talk to an actual financial advisor, not me. Uh, I mean, you could very well see Ethereum eclipse Bitcoin in value sometime in the next two or three years. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows indeed? Well, we'll have to stay tuned to the updates that are coming from Ethereum here, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully they can... Uh assert their dominance as the the store your wealth type crypto i mean but, yeah but you still got the normal things going on on the ethereum token so your right. smart contracts uh, a lot of decentralized hubs run off of it nfts are done on a lot of ethereum tokens as well there you go there you go and yeah. there's our obligatory nft reference there we go <laughs> yes all righty well the next um our, well the next section we have here uh, we started up last week where we were going to go through a uh, fun tweet or something from some tech guy. Uh, so, Grizzlo, take it away. Floor is yours. Perfect. Well, once again, uh, we find ourselves looking at some more meme tweets. Uh, and this week, I, I tried to find... Uh, it was very quickly before the show, so I wish I could have done more investigative research. Uh, I tried to look at Jeff Bezos, but he was too political... So those weren't necessarily meme tweets, but there was another meme tweet by Elon Musk uh, a few days ago. Uh, he posted a video of what I believe is uh, a bar at Neuralink. Um, <laughs> you don't see this often at, at companies. Um, you know, sometimes you got to take the edge off when you're working hard. Um, so <laughs> I think it was just kind of a funny thing to see, uh, especially coming from someone who's been on there or allegedly been on there uh, on his employees uh, for results. Uh, I can see this is sort of a, a sort of stress reliever uh, built in. And uh, yeah, I just think it's funny that uh, Elon Musk has uh, has a bar in in this uh, this company. I'm not sure if it's headquarters or one of the other uh, ancillary buildings, but uh, just a funny thing to see. It's actually more common than you'd think. Really? Yeah, when you get these companies that are huge and you want to have like a company party, you can't all go to a bar. Because what are you going to do? Flood a bar with like 70, 80 people? That's Ooh, not really feasible. Yeah, but then you have to rent out a whole bar. 
Okay, True. Google's got to run on a bar. I'm sure that's not going to even. Yeah, you know, sure, but that's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's you know. see, that's like an end of project thing. That's not like a, just a random like team building thing. A lot of them end up having their own little like spaces like this, as yeah, like not, a place they can all say, go and decompress. Yeah, not to say other companies don't have cool things. I mean, Google's campus is a primary example of. Oh no, uh, I'm just saying it's a lot more common. Having these bars and stuff is actually a kind of common practice. Hmm. I guess I was very unaware of that. It seems really cool. I like the neon. I, yeah, I don't know I, what they named it. Was it the Mongolian? Uh, no, that was the uh, Mind Pong Monkey. Yeah, the Mind Pong Monkey. <laughs> because I, I, I think, did they, have they put it? No, they put it in pigs, not monkeys. There was a, I thought there was a, oh, what do you call it? The flamingo? I don't know. I thought that was a monkey. Yeah, it was a monkey. Here, let me pull let back me pull up. It out I see a Wasn't that the mind pong monkey? <laughs> yes, uh, monkey mind pong. My apologies. This, Dang. Yeah. See. The pink threw me off. I could see it. But anyway. Yeah. I did. I just. Well, yeah. I just, I just thought it was funny. Uh, again, I just, another funny tweet from Musk. Yeah, I I like the design of this. Like, it's a cool it's a cool looking space. Like, you got mirrors. It, yeah, on I'd the go wall there just as a bar. Like, yeah, like mirrors on the wall, like the cool like mood lighting at the top here, and like pool table. Like, what what more do you need? Like, there you go. I'd go there. Yeah, I'd go there as just a normal bar. Right. Exactly. It's like sort of retro, sort of futuristic kind of blend. The mirrors yeah. kind of lend itself towards that. It's kind of like a nineteen. Look. It makes me think of like a nineteen like fifties take on what they thought the future would look like. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Speaking of what the future would look like, well, Google's, yes, I know my transitions. Just run it. Just run it. Just run it. All righty. Google's next Pixel phone will be powered by a custom chip. Talk about the future. Google is going to be making their own silicon. And guess what it's going to be called? It's going to be called Tensor. So what is a Tensor? It is a chip that Google is going to be manufacturing for the Pixel phones. So some it's high... also the name of some uh, machine learning platforms, but I digress. Correct. Yeah, that's where they, cut, they and, take the name from. Yep, and that's what I was going to talk about a little bit. Uh, basically, they call the chip Tensor Processing Unit, or TPU, a nod to the open source machine learning platform called TensorFlow, which I actually use in a couple applications that I work on mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but basically, they designed this chip for well, a version of this chip for servers that live inside data centers that basically are specialized for like ASIC application specific chips for AI. And basically they were able to adapt the design a fair bit and make it into a phone processor. So it's, it's really interesting to see how Google is, is doing this now because Apple went to their own Silicon uh, you, we just talked about a little bit earlier today how Snapdragon is making their own phone. Now we have Google actually fully committing to this, being like, hey, we're making our own silicon. This is what we're doing, and this is going to be the future of our, our phones. So it's great to see in an Android market. I'm, I'm your take on this. Oh, man, I'm... Guy. And I remember your uh, you were so excited. I wouldn't call myself a Google guy, but that first Pixel was a good phone for the time. Like, that camera still is one of the best cameras ever. So, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. This is still their first, I think, all-out SoC. 
but it's not like they haven't done something like this before. They had, I met, brought it up earlier, actually, it just came up, uh, the NeuroCore on the Pixel 3, mm -hmm. uh, the Titan M chip on the Pixel 4. So it's not even their first foray into kind of their custom silicon for their phones. And that NeuroCore actually gave the Pixel 3 a lot of ability to do really like cool and niche things. And the image processing on that phone was really, really good. And they, the guy who did Google's original image processing for Pixel is coming back for this phone as well. Who is apparently like an absolute genius in this hmm. field. So okay. hmm. sure. I'm very optimistic because they are going to have, it's the Tensor because they have dedicated parts for machine learning. Uh, they're updating the security chip, the Titan M. There's going to be a Titan M2, I think is what it's called. That's what they're going to name the security chip. And that enables them to do a lot of crazy, crazy things. Traditionally, video doesn't turn out uh, as well as pictures do on smartphones because smartphones don't have the bandwidth, usually, to really process video in real time and touch it up and make it look nice like they do with photos. Because photos on, for example, like the current iPhone, uh, the last-gen last Pixel, all of Samsung's phones, they're all heavily processed and edited and they do all these insane like tricks and stuff to make the pictures look so much better and what they claim they're going to be able to do in real time right now is be able to do that to actual videos and that's been some of like the footage they've shown to like insiders and journalists and all that has been that now that'll be an idealized case obviously but just the fact that it looks like they'd be able to pull this off is a huge step forward Oh, 100%. And, and because... What is video but uh, a bunch of pictures? 30 or 60 yeah. pictures a second. Like Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, in addition to that, they are really building this chip with machine learning in mind. Right. So, and one of the things I think they said they wanted to do was process some of, like, your Google Assistant stuff locally versus the cloud, which will speed up responses significantly. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure we'll see when like the full-fledged announcement comes out. What it's been so far was just a release of, hey, this is the phone. This is what it looks like. Here's a couple changes we made. This is our custom silicon. And they've kind of left most of the other details completely vague. They haven't really... Like, if you go to the product page right now, it doesn't look like a flat-out announcement like you'd see normally before a phone comes out. So... Details are, I'm sure, will filter in before October, I think, is when it comes out. Hmm. I could see but that. I'm optimistic, because yeah. I'm sure they have a lot of really weird, niche, and interesting like machine learning tricks up their sleeve that they'll probably work into that phone. I definitely yeah. could see it. I'm, I'm actually surprisingly very excited for this. Um, not just the release of the phone, but also the sort of announcement and breakdown of the new chip. Um, I don't think it is untrue to say that Google has been pretty much on the money when it comes to image processing and, uh, taking, just taking pictures with their phones. Yeah, um, I dare, I, I'd, I'd say no one's done it better to be honest, because they've used the same sensor for four years now, I think, and it still keeps up with even the best phones. Yeah, and actually, it's a really good point you make there. Um, in the article, they, they did mention that 
uh, people that did see see this uh, this film were impressed because not only were the pictures good, but it really didn't take the hardware to do it. It was there, and as kind of a, a segue from that to to this tensor chip, it, mostly in part to do with the tensor chip. Again, kind of a point that I was making earlier with uh, Qualcomm's uh, hardware and, the, and and the software, you know, the Android software, but but you know that that chip. Um, the marriage of those two things, as we've already seen with Apple's M1 chip, is producing some incredibly insane uh, specs and, and performance uh, measures. And, and, and Google's been at the forefront uh, of the sort of image processing uh, side of things for the, for the smartphones. Um, I'm really excited to see what it really looks like. They were talking in the article about showing what it looks like, what a picture, the same picture taken looks like on an iPhone 12. Uh, pixel 5 and a pixel 6 and apparently it's just ungodly just spectacular not just that but also uh video as well um it, i'm really really excited to to see how this technology picks up not just in the first generation of this but the next few as well i think oh, yeah. we're we're currently in i i think it's interesting um if you look back over the last uh, let's say 10 years of of smartphones and and see kind of the trends in what what's happening in the industry first you had you know like bigger phones then you had phones that were trying to get rid of you know the all the stuff on the screen bezel-less the notch or lack thereof um and now you're seeing a foray into foldables which uh it's sort of a gimmick but now you're really seeing this push in, in a lot of these uh, phone makers for their own custom chips that they can tailor uh, customize to their own software and then have this seamless experience, not just have a seamless experience, but make their existing software and hardware just that much better and much more impressive. Um, not just that, but Fitz, you did allude earlier to um, having this chip on the phones and potentially some other things. Um, they, they do mention that it, it, it's likely that they'll have a form of this uh, in some of their other uh, products, a smaller version maybe in some of their wearables. I can't remember if they have wearables or not, um, just different devices. Um, no. it's something I'm sure we'll see with you know Apple and their M1 chip. Um, they've already put it in the iPad. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it put into more of their computers. Um, that being said, it's possible that Google will also do the same thing with Chromebooks. Um, and some of their other computers yeah. and maybe come out with a very high performance computer that can take advantage uh, of this new chip. So yeah, it's really exciting. It. Again, I'm uncharacteristically excited about something like this. Um, yeah. I'm really <laughs> waiting for that announcement and uh, release uh, day in video. We will definitely yeah. see. We'll see. There's a lot of potential. They could, I mean, they can go as far as to basically, I know Apple has their W1 uh, audio chip. It might be W2 now. I don't really, I'm not zoned in on all of Apple's audio chips, but. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what the name is. Well, it's a W, so I know that. I know they're yeah. in here. W1 was with the first generation release. I know that. Yeah. I don't know if they've updated or not. That's besides the point. Google, who knows? They might go into making their own audio chips as well, which would honestly even, you know, bump Snapdragon out even more because. Up till now, if you have an Android phone, you want a Snapdragon uh, audio chip so you can get AppDex because that was the best codec you could get. Right. And we, so, you know, who knows where they'll take it? 
Who knows? Exactly. And I'm looking forward to, as we mentioned, all the announcements and everything coming out with this. Um, I'm also kind of interested to see how their supply chain is working out for, for these new chips. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm sure people are going to go into a lot of detail in the future with this. Um, people with connections that we don't have yet. Uh, so yeah. they will uh, go into detail with that. I mean, it's only a matter of time before we get yeah. like Elon. I mean, Musk they really kept it vague. But they've been very vague on what it is because we don't know. We have no idea on clock speeds. We have no idea on what our, what the uh, nanometer of the architecture is like. All we know is that there's an ML component. There's a Titan M security chip. It's all ARM based. Mm-hmm. That's kind of it. But yeah. Them making their own custom silicon and supposedly the pushes with this new, this next uh, iteration of Android, supposedly they're increasing performance by like 25, 30% or something, I think it was. I, I could get the number completely wrong right now. I'm operating completely off my memory, but the new version of Android is supposed to speed up significantly. So you pair that with them being able to optimize for their silicon. And I mean, I don't know. We got to see what it turns out like there you go yeah i think i I have two more points that i want to make uh one kind of piggybacking off what you said fits yeah i think it's really interesting that they are starting to produce their own chip in the middle of a chip shortage um i I think it's interesting timing i'm sure that they didn't want this to happen and and that they were trying to uh gauge the market a little bit and and, and try and see and and try and plan for you know a, a better uh timing but if this chip shortage is really going to last as long as people are now saying it's going to last you know it's almost like there's no better time than the present because the present is going to be the same as it would be in you know a year or two um and then also um I, i think a really significant point here that we haven't really touched on yet um google is at least historically a software company Yep. They had their foray in, into electronics um, and into hardware um, and are making their phones, but this is a hard commitment to hardware. So I think it's really interesting to see the, uh, the transformation or the sort of modification of Google from this software exclusive company to now they're kind of both. And right. it's kind of like, you know, I, I hate to make the comparison all the time, but it's the best comparison I can make and one that I'm very familiar with, Apple. I mean, they do both. They make it very clear. They make the software for the hardware and the hardware for the software. And especially with the M1 chip, it just optimizes it that much further. I mean, what better competitor now is there than Google? Especially if this chip it really is going to be as promising as it, it sounds to be. Yeah, definitely. And we're, we're going to have to see that too. And you make a really good point of, Hey, um, this is like Apple and Google are just straight competing. I'm, I'd think like, okay, are you going to have any other of these, these, these tech giants that are going to do the exact same thing? Like is Microsoft going to come out with some dedicated Silicon for, for Azure or something like that? That'd be interesting. Samsung does have their own, what is it? The Xenos chip or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but yeah, it's not using their phones, right? It is, yeah, some of them. Hmm. 
Some of them use the Snapdragon, some of them use their phone. It's interesting. Yeah. Kind of got to see where. I think that's the new wave, though, of tech, of tech, or of tech companies and specifically phone companies. That's kind yeah. of the new thing. It's making their own custom ARM-based chips and optimizing their hardware and really marrying the software with the chip and creating this super duper powerful, fully, well, almost completely optimized phone. I think you just stumble into a very uh, interesting point, actually. Uh, specifically, ARM chips. Good point. Uh, that specific part, I think, is yeah. very interesting. I think, I mean, x86 is a very old architecture for, uh, for software, for chips, basically, for all kinds of stuff. Uh, you could see basically when Apple released their M1 that they outpaced, you know, whatever they were using before Intel stuff by a really, really crazy, crazy amount. Because I mean, x86 is a little bit older and like straightforward software. It doesn't, or hardware rather, it doesn't take advantage maybe of a lot of the new ideas people have had and new ways of advancing things. So, I mean, we right. could be kind of transitioning into places moving farther and farther from x86 and more into ARM or even RISC-V, if anyone knows what that is. I could see it. I could definitely see that. And especially with the, the benefits of the lower power consumption, the yeah. newer instruction sets, the newer commands that programs can do with the data in a processor. It's just very cool to see. And as we're getting these, these people who are making their own chips, yes, they're using that standard. They're using that same architecture, that same standard, but they're specializing the design specifically for a certain yes. use case. They're not saying, Hey, this is the chip. This is how it is. This is going to be for, we're going to use the same chip in our servers, our phones, our laptops, our desktops. Like this is the same thing. You're kind of seeing that a little bit with the M1, but it's designed in a way such that you can use it in multiple cases with something like this, this, this tensor phone processor. Yes, it was designed to be used for, for a server at first, but because of the flexibility well, of this architecture, we could do whatever we want with it. I think just the uh, ML component they're putting in was designed for servers. Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. I, I got to imagine they have a normal thing just to handle standard instruction sets. But I they have specialized cores, like their neural core. Yes. Like that's, I imagine, the, uh, what do you call it? The progenitor to this, the pro proto Pre whatever it is. Predecessor? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Something along those lines, so, you so, know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, you know, long term, there's some interesting things that could happen. There's ARM. There's something called RISC-V, which is open source hardware. For computer chips which is a very interesting rabbit hole to go down if anyone ever wants to but i digress that's for sure beside the point <laughs> i i think the biggest kind of question though that i have and that i, I i'm sure a lot of people are, will be asking is what does this mean for the future of intel all you know we're seeing more and more of these yeah. smartphone companies in less or just over a year i believe it's been just over a year I guess Apple announced their plans to do ARM chips, let's say two or three years ago, it might've been two, but in the span of two years, one to two years, two major phone companies have now released or are about to release uh, their own ARM chips, moving away from what they previously used and kind of putting Intel's 
chipset in the dust. So how does Intel respond? What does that mean for them? Are they going to adapt and are they going to create a new architecture that competes with ARM? Who knows? I mean, it, they have to do something to stay very relevant. And with with they have other lines of business, obviously. They have like SSD, other chips, stuff like that. But if they all are built around a core product that you are no longer have a competitive like you no longer have a competitive edge on what does that do for you do you know what i mean right so we'll see we will definitely have to see how intel uh reels from this basically so how they respond definitely well, anyway, that is all of the time we have for tonight. This is actually one of our longer episodes here. But before there we was leave, a lot. You, yeah, there was a lot to go through. But before we leave here today, uh, I'm going to hand it back to Grizzlow. He wanted to once again plug our social media and ask you to like, share, subscribe, all that jazz on all of these different social medias. Yes, again, we're trying to make a big push for social media. It, it's kind of bare right now, but we are working on getting more content up. Um, making it more kind of like a ecosystem where we can post, you know, short clips on the stories and, you know, perhaps to a clips channel um, that runs in tandem with this, this channel, this YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, guys, follow us on Facebook uh, at tech talk nation show, Instagram at tech talk nation and Twitter at tech talk nations. That's tech talk nation with an S again, uh, we live stream us on YouTube and it's available uh, as a full show afterwards uh, when we're done streaming. But it, this show is also available in audio format on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, you know, really any uh, major podcast site. So don't think you're going to miss out on the show uh, if you tune in the next day or you're looking for us, you know, after we do the live show. Um, it's, it's still there. You can find it anywhere you can. Uh, look for more content. Um, and as a side note, we also have uh, the link to our most recent show in the bio, at least on Instagram. Uh, I want to get that also on some of the other platforms uh, if possible. Um, but yeah, guys, don't forget to look there. We're really only going up from here. More content is coming your way. Um, and we're excited to kind of for you to to be on this journey with us as we kind of grow this show and, and expand and kind of fill these big shoes that we're, we're really trying to, to fill. Well, wonderful way of putting it, Grizzlow. Thank you so much for that. And with that, we are going to bring our broadcast today to a close. Thank you guys so much for joining. Thank you to Grizzlow and Ryan, as usual, for being here today. Um, you guys always offer a great perspective, and uh, we will love to have you back as we hope to get a schedule going with these uh, shows sometime soon, now that all of our schedules have become a little less terrifying uh we hope to get on a more regular schedule with some of this stuff and uh watch our social media for more details to come on that so with that hope you have a wonderful week ahead and tune in next week to more tech talk nation have a great night bye everyone thank you for listening to tech talk nation tune in next week for more discussion on the latest in tech